very simply, technology always represents opportunity. It should not be defined by its threats. If that was true, then half of the modern life would not exist. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guests on the Inspire podcast today are the co-authors or the tri-authors, I don't know what the, what the term would be, of the brand new book, Everybody's Business, subtitles How to Ensure Canadian Prosperity Through the 21st Century. So here we're, we're doing this live at Rotman School of Business, and I'm joined by Joe Manguette, and Joe is the chair and CEO of Edgewood, Edgewood Health Network and the former head of the Boston Consulting Group Canada. Sitting to his left is Walid Hajazi. He's a professor of international business at the Rotman School of Management. And the incredibly well-attired, wish you could see the, the great outfit, uh, Danny Asaf, uh, a globally recognized competition for an investment lawyer. Uh, this is his second book as well. So gentlemen, welcome to the Inspire podcast. Great to Thank be with you. you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so let, let's start with what, like in your 30 second snapshot, and Joe, I'm gonna start with you. What's this book about? <laughs> It's, it's for me, it's really about the future of this, of this country. We've unknowingly somewhat have had a massive decline o- over the decades and the average chain doesn't seem to understand or, or know this. So as we, as we went around and talked to people about the book, the most shocking thing for me was, oh, wow, I actually didn't know it was this bad. And then the, the second most shocking thing was how complacent people were about the issues. Oh, it's so bad. Okay. Well, I guess there's nothing I can do. And the book's really about no, we can actually change the course of, the, of this country. It might take a generation, it might take two generations, but we, we, we can actually do it, but we need, actually need to start planning for it now. And how did the three of you come to know each other? And I mean, I wrote a book on my own. I can't imagine writing a book with three people. You've got a great chemistry, you've got a kind of a meeting of the minds. How did you come together and decide that you had this common view and that you wanted to write the book? So Danny and I knew each other because our kids went to school together. We're sitting at a hockey game and he had just become the president of the, of the Canada club um, and was thinking about themes for this, for this institution. And we'd both just read about a decline in Canadian prosperity. And we're going, that can't be right. Like we're on, we're, this is such an amazing country. We have to, we have to be on, on a big, on a big up, upward trend. And, and so we actually, we actually got together, did some research, um, uh, a few, a few of the, um, sessions of, of, the, of the, of the Canadian club were, were, were about this. And then he said, look, we need somebody smarter than this to actually help, help us put all this together. Hence, uh, Waleed, who is now my thesis supervisor, uh, by the way, on my, on my, <laughs> so on is my it, you're going to be tested on this material. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But Waleed was able to harness the resources uh, of Rotman and the monk school to actually, to actually bring a lot of a lot of depth and as you, as you read the book there's there's hundreds of interviews uh that that we that we conducted but it wouldn't be possible without the resources that Walid was able to bring, bring so Walid, maybe you can speak to this you start doing this research is it, what did you learn <laughs> so i've been working with the government of canada i've been a professor for 30 years and i've worked on many many studies that look at the challenges canada faces in terms of its productivity 
And when listeners think about what do we mean by productivity, it just means prosperity, income per person, what you can buy with your money. And as Joe eloquently said, we've been sliding relative to our, our, our competitors. What I really learned from the book is this widespread complacency among large parts of the Canadian population, but also in terms of the hundreds of interviews that we conducted, the urgency that many people face, but the frustration they have in not being able to move the needle on the challenges facing Canada. And just to put numbers to it, in 1967, on our 100th birthday, we were the third richest country in the world. There were only two countries ahead of us on that measure of prosperity. And on our 150th birthday in 2017 and today, we're now 15th, which means 12 or 13 countries have passed us, not on size. We have a country like China or India or Brazil, you know, 200 million people, a billion, a billion and a half people. That's a different measure, size, but on prosperity, which means these other countries have been harnessing innovation, the fourth industrial revolution, all these things much better than we were. So the big thing that I learned from writing this book was how we could potentially move the needle in this direction. The reason we called the book Everybody's Business, you know, Bart, there's hundreds of studies out there that document sort of a narrow slice of what we're talking about. But the average person can't read it. Politicians can't read it. Even other academics can't read it. We wrote a book that's incredibly accessible to the average person so they can understand all of these issues. And the title, Everybody's Business, we believe the way to move the needle is to get the average person to get them to understand these issues, but to participate in the political process so that politicians really understand what's going on. Collectively, there are three major points we talked about. Being bold in your mindset around technology. I've talked about getting ahead of the curve. Canada is a land of protectionism. <laughs> we know it, so we're gonna talk about that. And then we're gonna talk about almost like the culture of how you get through these institutional barriers to really push and align incentives to make it possible. So let's start with technology because, you know, and, and Danny, we'll, we'll start with you because obviously you're, you alluded to, we're in this transformative age of technology and we're now entering a new transformative age with AI, you know, which is causing a lot of anxiety in people and excitement. Um, so talk to me when you say about the mindset that corporate leaders or government leaders should have and adopt about technology. Very simply, technology always represents opportunity. Okay. It should not be defined by its threats. If that was true, then half of the modern life would not exist. You know, in my previous book, I had a little chapter about technology and I talked about, you know, radio. And there's a great uh, example of the power of, of radio at the time. There was this broadcast, The War of the Worlds. Orson Welles came on and told people we're being invaded by aliens. And they thought it was real. And they thought it right. was real. Okay, if they had a shutdown radio, where would we be today? We sure wouldn't be here doing this podcast. So every generation faced with new technology will always have these questions to answer. But so far, humanity has a pretty good track record, a lot of ups and downs, and we've gotten pretty low, but we've always been resilient and found a way to have technology improve our lives. Mm -hmm. So fundamentally, it is opportunity, it is not threat. Then when you see that, you can, it opens your mind and you think creatively and less defensively 
about how you can employ and deploy technology within your company to make your business better, more efficient, and fundamentally, at the end of the day, of more value to your clients. Hmm. And do you think Canadian leaders, like when in your research and your experience, is that the mindset that leaders in the Canadian corporate world and government world adopt? I'm going to say it's mixed, but it shouldn't be mixed. It should be very forward and it should be aggressively engaging in this idea that technology can always empower and improve. So we'll talk about protectionism a little bit later. So there's that. And we have some internal dynamics here that create the wrong incentives and also have locked people in to certain mindsets of, and it doesn't have to be formal capital P protectionism, but kind of protect your space. So that sentiment in any business, in any industry, no one wants to cede any ground. So you're always trying to think of how do I protect what I have? But that only lasts for so long because there's a big world around you, including technological progress, that isn't going to ask you your opinion. Right. It is going to move ahead. And by the way, in this world today, you're seeing these countries, you can't even call them developing countries anymore. I read an article in the Financial Times, they, they want to retire that word. It doesn't even fit anymore. Firstly, they have multiple different examples of companies on the trajectory and the spectrum of where they are in development. But the bottom line is this, again, back to the title. Technology has democratized the tools of productivity. They are everywhere. So there are eight, you have to think there are eight billion people racing for that better future. So you used to win the 100 meter dash or 100 yard dash, whatever they call it. 12 seconds, I think, in 1950, right. whatever it is. Right, and now it's nine, you know nine point today? something, right. Say it, hey, yeah. if you've landed for space, you same, same race. But totally. it takes a lot more effort and a lot more skill to win that today than in the past. That's where you gotta hone those skills. And te technology is part of that too. Yeah. Right, like when you think of all the technology that's gone into running and shoes and and, and the, the aero suits. Let, let me ask you, Joe, about this mindset around being bold that, that Danny's talking about. You, you know, as heading up Boston Consulting Group here in Canada and now in technology, what, what did you see when you have the conversation, you know, with leaders about this dichotomy between, hey, I wanna protect the often monopolistic legacy technology or legacy revenue versus the risk, investing the capital, trying new things. How, what were your observations and how leaders thought and how did you encourage them to think? Yeah, that, that's a fascinating question. Um, let, let me share a statistic uh, that Waleed and I were just talking about. The, the average age, which will get into your question, the average age of the top 15 Canadian companies Guess what that is? It's it's by, by market cap. Uh, yeah, top fifty years, hundred and twenty-four years. Wow, right? So the average Canadian company, leading Canadian company, is one hundred twenty-four years old. Think think of all that legacy thinking and how slow it is to move. Contrast that to the U.S. The average is about a third of that, and and Apple is right right in the middle. Like they're 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 just over forty years old. So if you think about that dichotomy, we've got you know young dynamic companies south of the border. We've got established, very risk-averse companies in, in Canada. And obviously it's geared to financial services and energy and, and, and telecom, which we'll get into when we talk about protectionism. I actually found when I was doing consulting, it was very, very hard to um, uh, get Canadian companies to be more aggressive, to take, to take risks, because they're used to living in this 
slow moving, somewhat protective environment. And they are protective. I mean, you know, the reality is like they're not going to lose the oligopoly, right? So are they wrong as Canadian? Like if you're a Canadian leader, because you've got Canadian leaders listening from banks, from telcos, they're saying, well, frankly, you're telling me that we should embrace more technology, take more risk, but the incentives are not there to do that. Yeah. What would you say to that? Yeah, uh, no, I, I, absolutely. The incentives are there to to not take those risks. And th th there's a story, again, I've shared with my co-authors. Um, first time I met Jim Balsilli at RIM, I was working at, I was working at BCG. And I actually, I actually said, look, we have the choice of giving all of our employees across the world a free BlackBerry or an iPhone that they have to pay for, right? So free, free BlackBerry, it's, it's your standard issue, or you buy your own iPhone. What do you think our employees are doing, Jim? 80% of them were buying, and I said, that's your future market share. Like, we're right there. At, at that time, they were actually a dominant, a dominant player. And I said, that, that's, that's your burning platform. You have, to do, you have to do something about that. And he launched on this diatribe about, oh, you guys don't give a F about security and this and that. And I said, that, that's actually not it. And we actually had the BCG CIO at the meeting. He said, no, here's what Microsoft does and blah, blah, blah. And, and here's how Apple is secure. And it's not about security. It's about it's about ease of use. It's about it's about simplicity. And and we actually had that that discussion. And it was such a such a kind of narrow mindset that um, and and, and from one of the most pioneering technology entrepreneurs yeah. this country's ever produced. Yeah. I mean, that's the remarkable so, thing. So so that they got to a certain size and scale and, and there will be multiple versions of, of, of what happened with RIM. I, I'm just I'm just explaining my own my own somewhat somewhat biased perspective. But yeah, yeah, and, and I haven't seen the movie yet. But the, the interesting thing is that they got to a certain size and they thought they were invulnerable. They they were it was impossible to beat them. The the arrogance and the hubris caught, caught up with them. Uh, and that was, in essence, their 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 downfall. Obviously, Northern Telecom fall, followed a similar similar fate, right? So, so if we bring this to the present, like let's imagine, let's just take a representative leader that would listen to this pod and would would be at senior enough to be able to drive change, but not CEO level. Let's take a SVP at a Canadian bank. <laughs> what would you tell them? And Wally, let me turn to you. Like, what's your prof here? What's your advice to them on how their mindset, what mindset they should adopt from a practical standpoint? Because they say, oh, sure, yeah, be bold with technology. I would what ask them mean? first and foremost to read Clayton Christensen's book on the innovator's dilemma. Yeah. Clayton Christensen is very, very clear. There's two kinds of technologies. There's something called sustaining technologies. And then there's these things called disruptive technologies. And disruptive technologies are those technologies that really change things and they really typically impact the profitability in the market share of incumbents. Can you give me some examples? Yeah, and there's three examples that are absolutely, should scare people in protected industries. The first example is Kodak. Kodak, they invented the digital film with someone named Steve Sasson in 1975, who invented the first digital camera. And the manager said, yeah, but it's, it doesn't require paper for the for, uh, for the pictures. It's going to undermine our business. And he said, you know, that's really cute, but don't tell anyone about it. So Kodak, the full of very very smart people. No one can say the Kodak engineers are business people, but because they shun this new technology, Kodak went bankrupt, and it was pretty sad when all of the Kodak patents were bought by Apple, which was using all of this. It's a great technology, but these companies that are really well managed tend to 
They're not set up to adopt new technologies. Another great example is Netflix and Blockbuster. We all remember Blockbuster. I remember taking videos back to Blockbuster and do you remember what they would charge if you didn't rewind them? Oh yeah. yeah. A dollar. And the late fees too. And the late yes. fees. So when you think so back uh, twenty years ago, the CEO of Netflix, this little startup, went to the CEO of Blockbuster and said, you know, we should work together because this new emerging technology and the CEO of Blockbuster called it a niche fad that would go away. And this led to the demise of Blockbuster. And of course, Netflix's market cap is now $200 billion. And this led to newspaper headlines like the arrogance of the Blockbuster CEO in September of 2000 cost Blockbuster its future. Now, to bring it to the Canadian example in two areas that are, are seeing competition, despite the fact that financial services is protected and that telecom is protected, you think about telecom and you think about all of the voice over internet protocols where you can use WhatsApp to make video calls, you can use Zoom, you could use, the Skype exist anymore? I'm not it's sure. Still, oh yeah, it's still yeah. going, totally, totally going strong, yeah. You can see the profitability of these incumbents is coming under strain with this new technology. And as these protected companies continue to maintain that mindset of we're protected, we don't have to embrace all of these new technologies, you see on the margins how this new technology. The other big one is open banking. And, you know, we could do a whole podcast on this, but, you know, most Canadians don't understand the fees they pay. They don't understand the financial products. So there's something called open banking, which in essentially enables a third party to give you clarity, to get you to understand the financial holdings you have at a particular bank, including the fees that you pay and other things, and allows you to negotiate with your bank and with others. So in Canada, banks have been pushing back on open banking. They don't want it to happen. So rather than have what are called APIs, which are basically efficient ways to share information, um, fintechs are emerging and they're doing what's called screen scraping. The point is that technology is overcoming these protectionist barriers and the time will come when they'll have to recognize it. So the message to leaders is your protectionism isn't gonna last forever. Protectionism is not only what governments do, it's technology. And Bart, if I may give the last example, do you remember how much it cost to get a medallion, a taxi medallion in Toronto or New York? Right, and, and so New York City just passed new legislation to help taxi owners because they took out mortgages on their homes to buy these medallions, which are now worth 10 cents on the dollar. You think of Uber and how Uber undermine all of that protectionism. So we've got all of this technology that is undermining the um, protected positions of these big companies. Leaders need to see that to, to prepare for what's next. And I, I just want to add, I just wanted to add to that, Barry, just to build on what Joe and Walid were describing. There were some very interesting points, obviously, that they made and some great examples uh, of why we're there's an urgency to what we're talking about. Uh, there is, there's a macro point and there's a micro point here kind of more broadly. The macro point is in this world, very competitive world, what if a country is a burning platform? Forget about a company. Because in this world today, you need to have a game board that's gonna attract the best and the brightest consistently to always create value and to always push progress, okay? 
And then on the micro side, what Walid have referred to in some of those examples, which is called, in some ways, they call them over-the-top technologies. Technologies that regardless of any they will break They will breach your moat. <laughs> yeah, breach right. your moat. They're coming mm -hmm. whether you like it or not. Well, I'll give you an example from my own life. Right. So we have a cottage, bought the cottage, and I went to work there. So we got, so there was only one of our telcos, which shall go on name. Yeah. And, we had and it was brutal. You yeah. know, I could not do Zoom calls. And now I have Starlink. Yep. I do too. I have Starlink. There you and, go. And, you know, they contacted me. Oh, we've upgraded the server. No, thank you. And so, you know, I think what, what I'm, what I'm thinking, yeah. the messages so far are so important for leaders. First is that, look, there is a huge upside in technology. You have to embrace it. It has, to your point, it has incredible potential. But second, if the carrot's not there, beware the stick. The moat you've built is not as secure as you exactly. think it is. Exactly. And just, just a further point on this, and you think I'm trying to, you know, visualize what a modern economy is like. So I've tried to use this example. I said, mm -hmm. if you, you see a Russian river, you put a rock in the middle of it. What happens to the water? Goes around. Exactly. Right. So I was reading an article today about car exports from Armenia to Russia. Just to think, all of the sanctions on Russia, they can't bring cars, American-made cars. Armenia went from, it sold like, it exported $12 of cars. Right. <laughs> to now it's like $180 million because people figured out. I get a car in Armenia. I can connect. <laughs> right. Customers and suppliers, I do it through technology. I know where the demand is. I can find the supply and people will find a way. They will find intermediaries. They will take less profit, but they're not going to stop. They're not just going to wither and die. There's like, there's a dollar to be made. There's a demand to be satisfied and people have incredible ways this way to get okay, around so, those big So rocks. we accept this premise and I think you have your examples and everyone should pick up this innovator's dilemma by Clayton Christensen. Yeah. If we accept this premise that your moat is not as secure as you think, and that at some point, it may not be right now, maybe 10 years, but it will be breached. What is the, once you accept that premise, what should these leaders do? And, and well, I'll come back to you. You know, I was in a room full of bank executives and I asked them this question about open banking. Is it a threat or is it an opportunity? And the answer I got was yes. Well, actually, <laughs> yes, but they used a different word than yes, but it was yes, it was, it's a throw opportunity, which would, and I think that's, that's great because the one theme that we teach at the Rotman School to all of the MBAs and executives that come through is don't think of technology as a threat. Prepare yourself to leverage it. And if you think about all of these companies that have these moats around them, I have to say this, this quote is like, the best which leaders should put on their wall companies will only be as productive or innovative as they need to be and if you look within canada and our r d spend relative to other developed countries we lag productivity lags income per person lags these moats are going to be breached so the the lesson for leaders don't think of technology as a threat you they are going to protect they're going to continue doing what they're doing to rake in the profits as long as they can, but they have to prepare themselves because the moat will be breached. And how do you prepare yourself? And that's why it's a threat to those organizations that reject technology, but it's a real opportunity. And those companies, even within protected industries that embrace these technologies to the greatest extent and be creative, those are the ones that are gonna be the leaders in the future economy. The last thing I'll say is 
you know, as the fourth industrial revolution deepens, you mentioned AI earlier, the speed of this new technology, you know, the threats, the innovator's dilemma, this is only going to become more important as these, because we don't know where AI is going to go. We don't know what these technologies are going to do. Those moats are, are not as secure as many leaders think. Right. Well, we got the iPhone and then it took a year to get the app stores and it took a year to get next. And now with ChatGPT, the iterations, Copilot, everything that's happened in the span. I mean, I, I went to Denmark with my wife in June and ChatGPT planned the trip for us. You know, it's, it's remarkable that the exponential compounding of progress. Yeah. The is other amazing. thing is I want to compliment the Canadian aerospace industry. I mean, we have lots of challenges, but we had the pleasure of taking 20 MBA students with 20 aerospace companies based in Ontario and some from Quebec um, to the Paris air show. That was a lot of fun. Um, tough life as a professor. Yeah, I, I feel for you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. like, we all make sacrifices for the greater uh, hardship. But as we, as we walked through, and this Paris air show was incredibly impressive. One of the professors with me turned to me and he said, how can Canadian companies compete with all of this? Because if you look at all of the technology and so on, you know, as technology is proliferated, we have to expose our companies to increase competition. So when Canadian companies are at the Paris air show, they see what the competitors and Najib Sawiris from Win Mobile said it perfectly on the Lang and O'Leary show. He said, when you close yourself up to foreign competition, how do you learn about the next generation of technology? You fall behind. You fall behind. Mm -hmm. And you know, frankly, if you look at Canada's incumbents in aerospace, in financial services, in telecom, they're lagging in terms of technology and innovation. Hmm. Joe, I want to come to you at the last point on this topic of moving, be, being willing to be, um, to move beyond the protectionist moat that's built for you and invest. And I know you're in healthcare, and so you also, and you, you know, did some school in the Valley. Um, talk a bit about how companies you're seeing that are moving, leaders are moving beyond this uh, in the world of healthcare. The, the, if I could back up for one second, on Canadian, large Canadian companies, uh, on, on your comment about, I'm a senior VP at a Canadian company, massive competitive advantage Canadian companies have is they have they have millions of customers. And, and if you're curious about what those customers are doing, you have a window into the future. Like, like the example of-, of, of what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, so, so one, of my, one of my clients when I was in consulting was a family owned uh, cable company, right? And this is prior to, Net, prior to Netflix. We looked at their most rapidly growing business was video on demand through the cable network. Sound kind of familiar? Yeah, I, I can press a button. The video, Watch I the movie. I don't have to go to Blockbuster. <laughs> That's an example of, okay, there's a little microcosm of a growing opportunity inside our company. Our customers are using it. They're accessing our platform. How do I identify that as an opportunity and build on it? They chose not to. They got their. They, they could all, have built the next Netflix. They, <laughs> they 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 had they had the next Netflix, and 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 they did not. So in the healthcare space, we've got exactly the same thing. We've got very concentrated buyers. So Ontario Health is one of the biggest healthcare organizations in the entire world, right? Um, we have Ontario Health has millions of uh, of patients that that go through it every day. We could be deploying uh, leading edge healthcare technology applying it to our customer base, commercializing those companies, but we're not. And I, I, can, give, I can give you two or three examples if, that, if that's okay. Um, 
One, one is a company which was founded by a student of Walid's Biotricity. So they do remote cardiac monitoring. So, so essentially they could, they could do almost predictive maintenance on you to say, Hey, Hey Bart, you're just about to have a, a massive heart attack. Go to emerge right away. Right? So this can save thousands of lives uh, and it has saved thousands of lives. So they go to the Canadian healthcare system. Kind of not interested, cost too much. They go to the U.S. healthcare system, massively, massively embraced. You know, the, the company moves to the U.S. It's a success. It's listed on NASDAQ and so on, right? So, so there's example after example after example of, of, of companies like this. And so that's, that's an example where, you know, it's kind of a bittersweet one, right? Because you've got this Canadian-created company. And the, the exciting part is they went to where the market is. But the sad part is it's not a Canadian company anymore. <laughs> and, and, and Canada could have benefited. Like, just think about what we're spending in emergency rooms that we could have actually prevented if we'd done this. Another company that, that I'm involved with is called MedCurrent. They, so it's AI for radiology. So, so essentially, if, 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 you're my, if you're my GP, you say, Joe, you know, you've got a pain here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prescribe an MRI for you. And this software actually says, actually, Joe, based on this history and what, what the issue is, you should actually do an ultrasound. So this technology can eliminate MRI wait lists in this country. Right, like think about our two-year waitlist; they could be completely gone. So, this this little company founded by a Toronto radiologist goes to a hospital and and says, "Hey, you know, would you like to buy our, our software?" And the and the head of radiology says, "So, this is this will actually lead to better patient outcomes because we get the right the right imaging at the right time." Yes, absolutely. This will this will reduce the number of unnecessary images like MRIs and X-rays and, and CAT scan. Absolutely, we we can actually eliminate MRI waitlists and CAT scan waitlists. Within about six months after we after we flush ready. Okay, I understand that, but we're not interested because we get paid by the number of images we do every year. So so this little company then goes to the NHS in the UK. Again, similar national national healthcare service. The UK says we have a shortage of radiologists. This is breakthrough technology. We're deploying this across the entire country. So this little tiny Canadian company is a dominant provider of this product in the UK. When Shit, like Canada could really benefit from this. And and then I look at and then I look at my own company and I was telling you like we, and, and describe your company and what So our company does mental health and addiction treatment uh, across across the country. Uh, it's what I call a public private uh, uh, company. So we work with governments, we work with employers. Uh, Canadian Armed Forces is one of our biggest clients, but as our insurance companies and, and so on. Uh, but but some of our business is, is purely private because mental health is not covered by the Canada Health Act, which is a whole other podcast. But but um, growing is tough in in this country. Like like it, it's like Canada has this big not open for business sign, and and I, I'm trying to I'm trying to push against it, and it is so incredibly difficult to to grow. Like every barrier is put up. Like, you know, as you get bigger, your your taxes your taxes get ex especially higher and and it's really hard to 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 claim um, uh, research credits. Like like every everything feels like it's stacked against me. Every province has like like even privacy laws in this country. Every province has different different privacy laws. So us as a national provider of healthcare we have to we comply have to, with every different one. Exactly. So so it's incredibly difficult to do business and grow in this country. But I'm so committed to it because it's the right thing for Canada. And mental health is in such a bad shape. Is in such bad shape in Canada. We are plowing through this. We are growing, and we're we're literally saving thousands of lives. So, which, so, which is great. so what you're describing here, and I guess this is really why the book is so important, is even if as a leader, like take the SVP, take the CEO of a healthcare company, take an entrepreneur. 
even if you uh, understand the value of technology, even if you are willing to push past the moat that exists for you or exists for competitors, you're gonna face huge barriers in the institutions of this country and probably within your own company. So let, let's talk about you know, how in the face of those barriers, how do you get through and drive? What would be your advice there? Well, for me, it's, it's two things. One is, is the obvious grit, like, like grit, determine, you just gotta, you just gotta blow through these barriers. But the other half of it is you need to know how. And, and so what, my biggest single problem in growing my company, we, we've, we've got the barriers that are thrown up by government, but a bigger problem is leadership talent hmm. in this country. Finding it, Find, developing finding it. it and, and developing it. So we're, we're in the healthcare space, we're in the private healthcare space. Where do I get people who understand what customer service and healthcare is, right? So, so what, what I've had to do is that to create our own uh, leadership academy. So we created a, something called Leadership Development Academy where we teach the fundamentals of the healthcare system, but also how, uh, how a private company can operate in the healthcare system. So they actually, so our leaders now are equipped when they go talk to a government agency or an employer, they can actually break through those barriers because they're, 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 they both now have the, have the grit because we hire people based, uh, based on their ability to, 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 to move, but they also have the knowledge and it's the combination of the grit and knowledge that can help us to, to overcome these barriers. But we had to, we had to create that. You we had to we, build that we, yourself. We actually, yeah. we actually couldn't, couldn't find it anywhere. And Danny, I want to come back to you. I mean, you work with leading companies in the competition space. So you, I'm sure you've seen the companies that do successfully push through the institutional barriers out there. What do you see among the most successful leaders uh, that is common to how they do that? It starts with the vision of the leader about thinking about tomorrow more than protecting today. It really does because that creates all of the culture where people feel empowered to push the boundaries. Like if somebody comes at Kodak with this idea, they know it's not gonna be perceived as a threat. Right. That is very- So the tone you, from the top because really is the starting point. you're sitting point, there right. working on something, you will sell, people are very adept at knowing how to succeed within an organization. And you will self-censure. We do it every day. If you know that this will not be well received through the leadership ranks. So think of all of that. So why does our economy work? Why do, why do open economies work? Because no one knows the right answer. It's an atomized game board where every single person wakes up every day thinking they're going to be the best at something or they could possibly be. So you take that, you want to put them in an organization that's going to facilitate that and not erode that. That's the first thing. And then from there, you need to create objective incentives to reward that, which means the benchmarking. And this gets to being uh, the complacency. So when you benchmark yourselves against your kind of immediate competitors in Canada, you can think you can win this race in 11 seconds. That's why the exposure, as Walid said, to outside influences and outside competition. That's why I love kind of the competition policy area because it is there is a purity in that. When you feel the breath of a competitor on your neck, that'll change your agenda. I always say there's very few things that'll change somebody's agenda in the course of the day other than somebody walking in your office and say, somebody ate our lunch today in this market. I'll tell you, the decks will get cleared. I've watched right. it. The decks will get cleared figure out why we're losing that market and then why you're reacting instead of being at the forefront of that <laughs> well well Lee, i know you were going to build on that um we have a program around me called the global manager initiative which is really meant to help mba students be prepared to make companies successful in the ways that we're talking about but there's a whole bunch of so Danny talked about the real world right. and all of his experience <laughs> this academic research 
There's all of this research coming out talking about companies that are breaking through the institutional barriers that you're talking okay. about. Who best to know that than people that SVP you're talking mm -hmm. about that's inside one of these big protected companies that's inside the moat, but sees the opportunities outside the moat. <laughs> and so a lot of the most successful startups are actually in part started by insiders. So people that were an SVP or a senior person because of all of the bureaucracy and processes and regulation, and you know, you know, I don't want anyone listening to this podcast to think at all that people working in banks or in telecoms don't work hard. They work very hard. It's just that they're within the moat. So they're still working very hard. But the idea is that the empirical evidence is showing that some of the most successful startups globally are actually by companies that were started by people that have that experience. Ten inside the moat, they see the opportunities, they know how to navigate all of these institutional barriers, and they're the ones that are going out and starting these new companies. And maybe they know how to breach the moat themselves. <laughs> and maybe before they leave, they open the door. Right, so, so what I'm taking from this, um, in terms of how the move passes, if you're in, and interesting, we talked about the SVP, so if you're the SVP or a CEO, set that tone from the top of saying, we are gonna, we are gonna look beyond Canada, our competitors are not here, the moat may be here, but it won't last forever. But let's bring it now to someone in their earlier career, because there are a lot of people who are, let's say they're senior manager or director. Is it fair to say that they should seek to join a company where that tone from the top is set and that there's not a place? Like, what advice would you give for them? There is unprecedented opportunity, and that's why everybody's business, we come back is to what is you can be your own leader. Yeah. So you think of very basic example what lead referred to was Uber, right? Fascinating. Something designed from the bottom up rather than the top down. I don't own the cars, I don't own the drivers, I don't own all this, and I'm thinking, in a pure way, I'm thinking down from that as to how to deploy these assets to get into the hands of the consumer, right? To transport, as opposed to untethered, a user says, how is the most official way to get for AB? Just with, from whole cloth, blank canvas, using technology. What a revolution. People who, again, it's a cliche now, but those gaps exist. So people, what Waleed described, he's looking, whether you're inside or outside, you've identified a gap in the marketplace. And you're saying there's something that I know, I've been immersed in, I am passionate about, and I see that gap, and now I have technology at my disposal. And the barriers to deploying that technology, organizing that technology to solve that problem have been never been lower. It's not gonna mm. guarantee success, right. but it gives you a shot. But you were never guaranteed success. Right. And then now- But the prize is significant. Exactly, right. and guess what, now, you do not need to do it all yourself. Right. You can be the conductor of that orchestra because you've got AI, you've got technology that we know every day, whether it's it, oh. it's basically almost Access to, to talent and fiber to or Upwork, right? You can put in out there, I need a developer, I need a marketing person. They could be in Brazil, they could be who knows where, and now, all of a sudden, what you've, what you've replicated substantively are the operations of a new business yourself. That is what's empowering. And having starting with that, again, back to that atomized mindset in every single person, and that's where it gets to reimagining the Canadian dream, regardless of where you're starting from or regardless of where you are, you have that opportunity to find a way to fill those gaps and to create better solutions which respond to what 
Joe was talking about earlier today when he went into this client and he saw, oh my God, video on demand is growing and it was just allowed to wither. I hope everyone listening knows something at Rotman called the Creative Destruction Lab. And their tagline is build something massive. And what it's about, it's using new technology to breach all of these barriers, but to build companies that are truly global. And just to tell you how impressive the Creative Destruction Lab is, it started at Rotman. It's now proliferated. They have about a dozen locations around the world. Their latest one was opened up in in uh, Estonia, but they have one in, in at NYU, they have one at Oxford, three or four across Canada. It's really about bringing smart, smart people, engineers and so on, taking this technology, finding what the commercialization value is, but directly to your question, what is the advice to these young professionals? We have 700 MBAs that go through the Rotman School every year. And one of the things that we're doing is these new startups come through the Creative Destruction Lab. We match them with these startups. Now these MBA students have to make the decision. When they're done, should I work with the startup as a CFO, get some sweat equity, get some equity, or should I take a job in an established company? And you know, Bart, when the CDL first started 10 years ago, a very small number of people would choose the startup. Wow. You're seeing that flipping now where many of our students are now, you know, and you think these companies that have gone through the CDL in the last 12 years have collectively raised over $20 billion in capital. Great. So these are so some- So it's possible. It's possible, <laughs> right? And go the Rotman. <laughs> yeah, but come to yeah. Rotman to be right. part of this. Well, well gentlemen, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. And let me just summarize what I'm taking away for leaders. I mean, first of all, for anyone in any Canadian, you know, and I have three kids, you know, I have companies here in Canada. So your research is really uh, important and concerning, right? That we are falling behind. There's a high rate of protectionism and it's really holding back our ability to build great companies on the global stage. But I think the other thing I'm taking away is this message of hope. And so for leaders listening, you know, one, be bold in your mindset around technology. It's not, it's a throw opportunity. Is that, is that the word? Yeah, but view it from the, lean to the opportunity side, not the threat. Second, you're going to have, your moat is not as strong as you think. It will be breached. It might be breached in a decade, it might be breached in a year, but it will happen at some point. And then lastly, you have to just have this grit that you're talking about, this drive to set the tone in your company or go work for a company where that tone is there. So let or create me, a company where create you can create your own tone, right. as Walid was. So, so let me get go around and get each of your parting words of wisdom and advice to leaders in Canada. And Joe, I'll start with you. Well, for, for me, it's, it's the same piece of advice. Uh, don't accept the status quo. Uh, this is an amazing country. Uh, we can actually change the course of this, of this country, right? As leaders, as leaders, it's, it's kind of our, our duty. Um, and we, we can drag our organizations uh, along with it. Uh, we can push organizations, we can pull organizations, but, but we actually have the opportunity to, to change the game here. Love it. Pauline? Yeah. Buy the book and read it. <laughs> <laughs> this has all just been a Trojan horse to sell books. But one of the themes that runs through the book that we really didn't talk about today, but is so very important, is a lot can change in 50 years. In Canada, over the last 50 years, 
has really fallen in our global ranking. And lots of things are happening in the global economy. I have three kids. We all have kids. You have three kids. We want to leave them a country that's better off than the country that we were born into. And unless things change, Canada is going to fall further and further behind. And the opportunities we're going to leave for our kids are not going to be as bright as the opportunities that we had. And it is possible that just as we've changed the trajectory for the negative in the last you know, decades, it can now be changed really for the positive. And what we really need is we need bold leadership, not only at the government level, we need bold, bold leadership at the corporate level. We need senior managers and leaders in these corporations to see beyond the moat, to embrace these technologies. It shouldn't be viewed as a threat. There's real opportunity there. And Danny, the last word. The last word would be, there is great uncertainty out there, but there's also great opportunity. And for me, I've reflected on the essence of leadership. And the essence of leadership is to take people from periods or places of uncertainty to periods of opportunity that you uniquely see, and you can inspire people to follow you to get to this better place. And I think of what we have in Canada. We have lots of threats. We have lots of things that are not going the right way, but we've sure got a lot to work with. So wherever we are, whatever you are leading or whatever you think you can lead, take advantage of what we already have from wherever you're starting, embrace technology and make sure that you can create a tomorrow that's better than yesterday for yourself, for your company, for your community, and ultimately for our country. Well, that's a, that's a hopeful message. And so I wanna thank all of you for coming on the pod, uh, for doing this, and most importantly, for writing the book and providing uh, both you know a platform for action and then some really tangible ways that Canadian leaders can move forward. So thank you very much. A real pleasure. Thank Thanks you. for the opportunity. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Danny Asaf, Waleed Hajazi, and Joe Manget about their newest book, Everybody's Business. They've really done some deep research into Canada, into Canadian business, and, that, and the book's a great read from a macro and policy perspective, but what I really found valuable is their advice to leaders. You know, embrace this technology, provides tremendous growth potential and you know you better watch out because that moat you think you have it's going to get breached so i encourage you to pick up the book follow them on linkedin and uh, they've got some great insights next time on the pod i'm joined by mike mcdonald and mike is the founder of recess guardians a charity that has made a huge impact in schools by teaching older kids how to run recess games for younger ones and he's now founded and started uh, a for-for-profit company in the U.S. called Activate. Uh, it's a company I've actually uh, invested in. I'm joining the board. And so I, I bring Mike on to talk about what we can learn from teaching kids to be leaders and uh, the implications for us in the corporate world. So tune in next time for that episode. In the meantime, please rate, review the pod. It really helps get the word out. Thanks so much. And may all your words be inspired.